Today, he wrestles with Israel over two-state solution. On Monday, January 22nd, EU foreign ministers met in Brussels with Israeli Foreign Minister Israel Katz and Palestinian counterpart Riyad al-Maliki to discuss achieving peace in the Middle East. Hello and welcome. I am Evikiori, and this is your Actives Beyond the Byline. For the European Union, the establishment of a Palestinian statehood is crucial for achieving peace in the Middle East. EU foreign ministers express concern over Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's clear rejection of the idea. Despite being the leading global aid provider to Palestinians, the EU has limited influence on Israel, its largest trading partner. The 27 member countries also have differing opinions on how to handle the situation. However, the dire situation in Gaza increases the urgency for a ceasefire and for an end to the fighting. Alexander Brzozowski, you are Euroactive's Global Europe and Defense reporter covering EU foreign affairs, and you have been following closely the developments in the Middle East. Over this past weekend, you reported that the EU circulated a peace plan for a credible, comprehensive solution to the Israel-Palestine conflict. So what does this mean? Could you break this plan down for our listeners? So indeed, over the weekend, the EU's chief diplomat Burrell sent out a so-called non-paper to member states that was supposed to outline the roadmap uh, for discussion for Monday. Mm-hmm. It does include a series of steps that could eventually bring peace to the Gaza Strip, including establishing an independent Palestinian state, normalize rela- relations between Israel and the Arab world and guarantee some kind of long-term security in the region. This non-paper also said that the international community could somehow set out um, consequences um, attached to engagement or non-engagement by those actors. So without really spelling out what this would mean in practice, are we, are we talking about sanctions? Are we talking about uh, maybe economic incentives to to drive the process forward? So that, that was very unclear from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main centerpiece of, of that peace plan effort was um, to hold a conference that would involve all players uh, in the region, the EU, uh, the US, Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia and the Arab League, and also the United Nations. So with some of those uh, members, the plan was actually discussed before and uh, some some of their considerations taken into account, as we understand. But in general, the approach is kind of based on what we've heard before in New York last year, Um, there was a push for an incentives-based uh, approach towards Middle East peace, but um, obviously that was uh, before the October 7th attacks and it was also before the dire situation in Gaza we have now. So um, what both plans in some way have in common is that it's unclear how to really implement them. So with this fly, especially in the current situation, you already mentioned the 7th October attack and the dire situation in Gaza. And there's been many peace plans over the decades that did not work. You've been writing about these plans for a long, long time. So is this the one that will? Yes, yeah, so I- I mean, according to EU diplomats that we've been discussing this with uh, over the past few days, there is a broad backing for a two-state solution, but the question marks are rather on how to achieve it in the current circumstances. So Borrell earlier over the weekend um, indicated that such a solution might be somehow enforced. The question is how. I mean, with Europeans having rather limited leverage in a region, that really doesn't sound like a full plan. And as for the EU roadmap itself, I think support is also a bit more nuanced here because when we think about obviously the staunch backers of Israel that will be careful to support any initiatives that could 
question Israel's right to defend itself. So even there, I think we will have to see what, what the reactions are in the long term. EU foreign ministers in a well-sequenced choreography on Monday met Israeli, Palestinian and Arab uh, counterparts to talk about the wider implications in the Middle East. So how was that and what were the main takeaways? So it has really been quite a packed visitors' day at the Foreign Affairs Council. There, we I think I can't remember a time where there was so many uh, foreign ministers visiting for the same program points. So that was that was kind of new, and I think that also shows that there might be some willingness to to move forward to a solution. One of the main takeaways, though, is. I think that it will be very difficult to find common language with the Israelis, both when it comes to the current situation in Gaza and uh, towards a solution um, of the conflict. We've seen, especially the, the quotes that came from um, Israel's right-wing prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, who kind of flatly rejected the idea and vowed to continue with the offensive in Gaza. And uh, essentially he was saying that, uh, according to him, there's no solution rather than absolute victory. So whatever that might mean in the end, um, it doesn't sound too good. The increased conflict between Borel and the Israeli side is also not really helpful. Um, Borel's language over the past weeks has become much more firm on Israel's operations in Gaza and also on the peace process and the handling of Hamas. Indeed, while talking to journalists, uh, Joseph Borel in a tense tone wondered what was the proposed solution from Israel's side. Which are the other solutions they have in mind? To make all the Palestinians live? To kill of them? 25,000 already in Gaza. 70% of women and children. Certainly, the way you're trying to destroy Hamas is not the way they're doing, because they are seeding the hate for generations. And how is his stance perceived externally and internally in the EU? By the Israeli side, he's increasingly seen as choosing sides. Um, but obviously inside inside the EU, the opinions are very much uh, split on that, as we remember from the issues we had in the early stages of the conflict with uh, Ursula, von der Ursula von der Leyen being a bit more uh, Israel-leaning. Then we had the socialists obviously being a bit more careful uh, to support um, whatever Israel was doing. So... When it comes to that, I think we will also have to see how member states uh, react in the long term. But it's clear that the needle is shifting and the needle is shifting towards the situation in Gaza. Now on this, the Belgian Foreign Minister Haj al also stressed the need for a two-state solution to establish peace in a durable way in the region. So there is a bit of division on how the member states approach this. So what reactions did you gather from, from this side? For member states in general, um, even for the very staunch supporters of Israel, I think it might be increasingly difficult not to criticize the Israeli side. Um, we had an interesting uh, situation, at least in the in the ministerial on Monday, as far as EU diplomats have told us, um, where they were rather surprised that Israel's foreign minister Katz showed the room videos of um, some kind of envisaged artificial islands uh, off the coast of Gaza and uh, a second one on a rail uh, network link uh, to the Middle East and India. So um, to many in the room, it felt a bit uh, out of place and detached to speak about infrastructure projects rather than um, go a bit deeper in the, into the current situation on the ground. 
Pues hemos tenido el placer de ver dos vídeos muy interesantes, uno sobre un proyecto de isla artificial. And this criticism was transferred from the meeting room outside by the EU's high representative, who appeared rather ironic, criticizing the Israeli foreign minister for focusing more on the infrastructure plans rather than the security of his country. So it also might suggest that the Israelis might not be willing to listen to peace suggestions that closely. Um, in the next few weeks. Well, thank you, Alex, for joining us and breaking down the EU's foreign ministers' meeting. I am Evi Chiori, and this was your Active Spill the Byline podcast. Visit your Active to stay on top of the latest news, sign up to our podcast newsletter, and if you haven't subscribed yet, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by myself, Miriam Sanz de Tejada, and Nicoleta Yonta. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time. As part of our commitment to accuracy, inclusion and transparency, your active is part of the Trust Project.